Hello, and welcome to Papago Butte's Church of the Brethren podcast, recorded live weekly at our campus in Scottsdale, Arizona, during our normal service. Um, So we are cruising along through Lent. Uh, We are looking at various passages that deal with the concept of stones or rocks that keep us from God. Um, As always, you're reminded to take a stone with you, add it to your collection as we reflect upon uh, the sermon uh, as uh, as we go throughout our week. And so we've looked at three different passages in the Hebrew Scriptures, and now we're going to move on and look at a few passages from the New Testament. So what are symbolic stones uh, that keep us from God in the New Testament? Um, Before we get to that text, though, before we get to the sermon, I just want to talk about as as humans that we end up labeling things. Uh, That's something we do. We give things names. We name our children. We name physical objects. We name emotions. We name businesses, cities, nations. Literally everything has a name. Everything has a label. Um, The English language actually continues to grow, not shrink. A couple different sources said roughly a thousand words, give or take, are added to our dictionary every year. Um, And pragmatically speaking, things need to be named because it's hard to communicate with others if, if things don't have names. If you're like, oh, I'm not feeling so good. Can you get me that thingamajig? It's like, do you need Tylenol? Do you need like a like a ice pack? Like, what do you need? Like, give me the name of that thing you need. Um, so, not only do we name things, we label them as well. You know, we associate certain characteristics with people, with businesses, with nations. Um, if you are at war with another nation, they're labeled as the enemy. Uh, maybe a teacher gets a reputation for maybe being too strict or mean or just not helpful. Uh, they're labeled as a bad teacher. Maybe a teacher you want to avoid. Um, So once you're associated with that bad label, that can be a hard thing to shake. Um, People will potentially forever, you know, associate you with that label. Um, If you're in the public eye, you know, you're a celebrity, you're a politician, something like that, uh, one bad move might forever uh, change people's perceptions of you. And so we're going to talk about labels today uh, as we explore the text at hand in John chapter 8. So as always, I invite you to pray with me, and then we'll dive in. Uh, So Lord, we are thankful for your word. We are thankful for the truth of your word in its original context Uh, the truth of your word throughout the ages, and the truth of your word for us here and now today. I pray that I I would indeed be able to preach and proclaim your truth. If I say anything that's not of you, let that be forgotten. Uh, But we pray that you'd be brought glory and honor, that we'd learn to better be your disciples as a result. Amen. All right, so this story is very much in line just with uh, stories that we've come to expect of Jesus. Like, this very much, uh, this very much fits the pattern uh, that we see with other Jesus stories. Um, there are several instances in the Gospels where someone will approach Jesus with this situation, with this question, and say, hey, here's this thing I'm presenting to you. Uh, what's the answer? Is it A or is it B? Is it this or is it that? Is it option one or option two? Um, It's always presented as a yes or no type of situation, an either or or type of scenario. Um, And every time this happens, every single time this happens, it's always presented as a trap. It's always presented as as, as a trick to Jesus. Because the idea is that no matter what Jesus says, A or B, one or two, this or that, yes or no, whatever side he takes, that will be the wrong answer in in the one of whoever is asking the question. And so no matter what answer he gives, it will be the wrong answer because they're laying a trap for him. 
Um, They don't actually care about his answer. They just want Jesus to say something out loud uh, that they can later then use against him. And so if he says A, they'll scream at him and says, really, the answer is B. And if he says B, they'll scream at him and says, no, the answer is really A. And so that's exactly what's happening here. This woman is called in adultery. And in verse 5, they say that the law of Moses calls for her death. Um, And that is a true statement, um, assuming that, yes, she was called in adultery, that this is the punishment that the law called for. Um, These teachers of the law, they knew their Hebrew scriptures very well. Um, They knew what Leviticus 20, they knew what Deuteronomy 22 taught. Uh, But then they bring bring her to Jesus, they ask this question, um, what do you say about this? Uh, But when they do this, uh, they honestly don't care about Jesus' thoughts or opinions on the matter. Um, All they want to do is is for him to open his mouth and say something, say really anything, uh, because again, no matter what he says, they will be able to use that against him. Um, So they're giving him a catch-22, because if he were to say, oh no, we should definitely not stone her to death, uh, that would mean that he does not take the law of Moses very seriously. And so they can bring their own charge against him. Like, hey, you don't believe in our history, our faith, our theology. You don't uh, believe in Moses. You don't believe in any of that kind of stuff. You're, you're just kind of this, like, false teacher or something like that. Uh, but then if he were to say, oh, yes, like, I believe in this scripture, we should definitely stone her to death, uh, then they could bring this to the Romans, and the Romans would not have liked this very much. Uh, Because the Jewish people in this day and age, they were under the rule of Rome at this point. Um, They were allowed some freedom of religion to practice their beliefs, but Rome didn't want them to go out and, like, be killing people. That was something for Rome, not for, like, the Jewish people. And so no matter what Jesus says, no matter what answer he gives, it will be the wrong answer. And so a no answer puts him at odds with the religious leaders, and a yes answer puts him at odds with Rome. Again, though Jesus, he's aware of the trap. He knows that this woman has been shoved in front of him um, as a pawn to be used in their game against him. Uh, He knows that they don't actually care about this woman at all. They don't really care about the situation, uh, but they're using her to try to trip him up. Um, I I say that because as much as 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 the the men knew the law, uh, they were missing out on an incredibly important or crucial aspect to the law that they're quoting from. So I'm going to put up Deuteronomy and Leviticus here again on the screen. I kind of underlined and highlighted one uh, part of them um, where it says, uh, if if the man is found sleeping with another man's wife, both the man who slept with her and the woman must die. Leviticus 20, both the adulterer and the adulteress must be put to death. Like adultery, that was something that was incredibly egregious in the ancient world. And the law of Moses actually called for both the man and the woman caught in adultery to be killed, and yet they're not bringing both parties here. They're only bringing the one. Like, they honestly don't care about her. They don't care about the situation. All they want to do is trap Jesus, because if they actually cared about it, they would have brought both parties to him. Again, Jesus knows this. Jesus is well aware of it. So again, I'm picturing the situation which maybe some leaders, they know about this thing going on. They stake out their house. They catch the couple in the act. Uh, the man gets away. The woman is dragged, kicking and screaming, into this, into this encounter. That's kind of like how I picture this. Jesus, again, is, is aware of all this. And rather than just up and answer them right away, uh, verse 6 says he starts to write on the ground with his finger. So there's kind of this pause that enters to the story. Uh, the text does not say what he's writing. Honestly, nobody knows. That's one of the great uh, mysteries of the Bible. 
Uh, if you study this thing, you'll see all kinds of different theories and like ideas of what he's doing, what he's writing on the ground. Uh, some say he's possibly just doodling to, to kind of delay his response, kind of provoke them a little bit. They're really angry. They want an answer. He's just like, eh, I'm just going to take my time drawing here. Um, he's possibly maybe writing everyone else's sins on the dirt. They're bringing you know, this woman to him. He's like kind of writing out their, you know, their sins. Um, some say that maybe he's writing out the Ten Commandments. Uh, we looked at the Ten Commandments a few weeks ago. They were described as being written by the finger of God. So maybe he's kind of like writing you know, the Ten Commandments on, on, on the ground. Um, other theories abound, but at the end of the day, we don't know. It's like, you know, Bermuda, uh, Bermuda Triangle, Area 51, all these theories. What's actually going on? We don't know. Uh, so if you have your own theory about it, come talk to me after the service. I'd love to hear what you think. Uh, but verse 7 says that he doesn't initially answer. He's too busy writing. They keep pestering him. They want to know what his answer is. They're not going to give up. They're not going to go away until he says something, until he gives that yes or no answer, until he gives them some sort of ammunition uh, to use against him. Um, so after some time, though, he stops writing. He straightens up. He looks at them all, and he finally answers their question. Uh, but in typical Jesus fashion, he does not answer their question in the way that they wanted him to. He doesn't fall into that binary thinking of A or B, one or two. He gives them the option of C, answer C. He gives them answer number three. All right, but uh, let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. That's in the New Living Translation. King James, he that is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone at her. Uh, the Message Bible, the sinless one among you, go first, throw the stone. Uh, Jesus says that, and then he goes back to writing whatever it is that's on the ground. And notice, he doesn't say anything else. He doesn't do anything else. He just says this, and then he goes back to his little etch-a-sketch on the ground. Uh, he remains silent. He lets his words sink in. He lets this one-sentence sermon just slowly fill the air. And you can almost, like, sense this awkward silence that's overtaken the group. They started off as this loud gang. They angrily brought this woman to Jesus. They demanded sentence upon her. He, he ignores them as he's working on his drawing. After some further pestering, he says one thing out loud. He lets that sink in. And it grows silent among the bunch. Uh, the older men, they start to leave first. Uh, maybe the younger men, they're looking around, they're like, I don't, what are we supposed to do right now? Uh, but they, they see their respected elders leaving, and they're like, I guess maybe we should follow suit as well. And eventually, it's, it's just Jesus and the unnamed woman who are left. And for only the second time in our story, Jesus speaks, and he says, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? The answer is fairly obvious. No, of course not. No one's left. It's just Jesus and the woman. And his response, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Uh, Jesus, he's not condoning her actions. You know, definitely should not have been uh, committing adultery. Uh, but he also recognizes the way that the religious leaders went about handling the situation was completely uh, wrong as well. Uh, they should not have drugged her in front of Jesus, loudly demanding a trial, ignoring the fact that, hey, there's, there's other people at fault here. Uh, the religious leaders, they were abusing their power, seeking to trap Jesus so that they could continue to hold on to that power. Uh, Jesus presents a, is presented as a threat to them, and he's a threat that needed to be neutralized. And so while certainly Jesus does not uh, excuse adultery, uh, he certainly also does not excuse judgmental hypocrisy. Uh, Jesus is not down with judgmental hypocrisy. And that's basically what this passage is about. It's not about adultery. It's not about the situation. It's not even about this woman. 
Uh, It's about yet another instance of Jesus running up against the establishment, about him encountering those who are in power and blind to their judgmental hypocrisy. We see story after story after story of this, of those who are in power and blind to their judgmental hypocrisy. Uh, We see this paradigm of Jesus fighting against the powers that be all throughout the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He tells the people, don't be worried about that sawdust in the eyes of others, but then you have this giant two-by-four sticking out of your own eye. He tells the people that the cleanliness before God, that's not an external thing, but that's something inside of you. That when you forgive other people, you don't forgive them just seven times, but 77 times. Uh, constantly reaching out to the poor, to the tax collectors, to the prostitutes, and all the other you know, sinners of the day that the religious leaders would, wouldn't have wanted to touch with a 10-foot pole. Um, and there was this religious structure, there was this system at place uh, that, that, that just so easily led to the labeling of people. And if your label did not match the accepted categories of the day, if your label didn't match with what they thought was right and proper, then you were on the outside with little to no hope of being let in. That label got attached to you, that stuck with you, and it was very difficult to get rid of. It was very easy in that day and age, in that day and age to pick up a rock, to pick up a stone, and to throw it at those uh, whose label you did not like. You would have actually been praised and exalted by many of the religious leaders for doing that very thing. Like, oh, you're being so great. You're so righteous for taking your rock and throwing it at that like throwing it at that category of person. So during the season of Lent, uh, we're focused in on our rocks, our stones that keep us from God. Uh, Jesus in this story shows us that the labels that we develop against others are yet another stone that we place before God. We're all being encouraged to take our rock with us, um, you know, as, as we worship together, use that as a reflection point. Again, I have them right here in my pocket. Uh, today for this sermon, today as you leave here, as, as you continue to reflect upon this, uh, the rock that we have with us this week, it represents the labels that we put on others and we denigrate them with. That's what our rocks represent for us this week, the labels that we put on others and denigrate them with. That there exist people, that there exist groups that we label, that we don't like, that we disapprove of, that we want to take our rocks and throw at them, that we want to tear these others down, thinking that our action, that those actions on our part will prove how good and righteous we are. That we get caught up in thinking that we are better and more holy than them, that God loves us or approves us over and against them. You know, maybe part of this is just seeking to hold on to power or control that we have over other people who are not like us. It is so easy to get caught up in the labeling of others that all we can do is just focus in on the label and exclude everything else. Instead of seeing a person in front of us as an individual with a story who's made in the image of God, what we do is we focus in on the label. That's all we can focus in on, and we can't, just, we can't get past that label. Whatever it is, we focus on that, and that's all we care about. We end up carrying, uh, caring way more about the label than the actual person. And the labels that we use, it's different for all of us. Like, I don't like those fill-in-the-blank. I don't like those Muslims. I don't like those gay people. I don't like those Trump supporters. 
I don't like those Biden supporters. I don't like those atheists. I don't like those people on welfare. I don't like those people that are here illegally. I don't like those gun owners. I don't like those single moms. All those homeless people, I don't like them. All those drag queens, don't like them. I don't like those, fill in the blank, those that fit a certain label. I don't like those... That goes against how I think the world should be. I would like to take this stone and throw it at them. And I can flip through my Bible. I can point to chapter and verse in my Bible that backs up my justification for throwing these stones. I would like to know that God is on my side with this so that I can feel justified in my anger and that I can continue to hold on to my power. And in this story, uh, there's an element which Jesus is not condoning the woman's sin. You know, maybe, maybe in your labeling, there's, there's an element where you're frustrated with a certain thing. Like, you gave money to someone who was in need, they blew it on entertainment instead of rent, you know, whatever that looks like. But we all have those people, we all have those groups that we label. And we stare at the rock in our hands, we're just looking for the chance to throw it, to lob it at them. And yet there Jesus is right beside us. He's drawing on the ground. He looks at us, he speaks a few words to us. Let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone those that we were labeling before. Jesus looks us right in the eyes, right into our souls. And he says one simple thing, one question. Why? Why? Like, why? Do you, do you think that you were more righteous than them? Why do you think that you were any more holy than them? Why do you think that God loves you more than them, that you have to go out and wage this holy war? Why do you think that your pride and your idolatry and whatever garbage is in your life makes you any better than them? Why are you scouring through your Bible looking for these words to wage this holy war? Like, why are you doing any of this? Like, why? Why are you even holding a rock in the first place? Drop the rock. Just drop it. This world is broken. And, and part of the way we keep it broken is through our continual labeling of others by our looking down upon them, by our refusal to see them as, as people with stories, by holding on to our power. All we can see, all we can focus is on the label, and people are forever more than just their labels. People are forever so much more than just their labels. By our self-righteousness, by our pride, we think that the world would be so much better off if these labeled groups would just go away. And yet someone is so easily looking at you across the aisle, across the world, and seeing you as a label as well. They're not seeing you as a person. They're not getting to know your story. Someone else is holding a rock, looking for a chance to lob it at you as well. For something that you did or something that you did not do. Maybe for something deserved or something completely arbitrary. Uh, they're pouring over their Bibles, finding the words to condemn you. Again, everyone, take a rock with you there at the, the back of the sanctuary, add it to your collection, keep it with you. Uh, this week, this rock, these stones, they represent our eagerness to rush in to label others. Uh, this week, this rock, these stones, they represent our eagerness to just rush in and label others. They represent another stone that keeps us from a holy God. They represent the brokenness of the world, the fact that we're all in need of a Savior. Uh, they represent the fact that far too often we cling to our power uh, instead of just releasing that to the world. 
as you carry your stones with you this week, continue to reflect upon this message, to continue to read John chapter 8. Look around the world and ask yourself, like, who are those groups that I'm labeling? Who are those groups that I'm holding a rock against? Who are those, like, just whatever, as you fill in the blank? Who are those that I think I'm morally superior to? I've never got, uh, bothered to even get to know their story. All I want to do is throw my rock at them. You know, who, who do I encounter at work and my commute in school? Who do I see in the news that I want God to bless my anger towards? Who are those labels that I need to get past, to drop, and to understand them as people? Where are the labels that I just need to get rid of and to get to know those stories of the people underneath? Who would make me uncomfortable if they came through our doors here at the church or that they'd want to enter into our community? Who, would, who are those labels that if they came in, I would want to stand up and leave? That's who Christ is calling us towards. Who is Christ calling me to be an example of, to let down that rock, let down that label, let down that hatred? That's what these stones are helping to remind us this week as we're in our Lenten series. Uh, and we, we are trusting that Christ is the one leading us the whole time, causing us to like, rethink uh, how we interact with the world and show love to others. Thank you for listening to Papago Butte's Church of the Brethren podcast. If you have any questions or are interested in finding out more about our church, feel free to reach out to us at any time. Our contact information is provided at www.pbcob.org.